American soccer fans, what's going on? Welcome to episode 36 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Donald Wine here, co-manager of Stars and Stripes FC, where you can find all the news about the U.S. national soccer teams, the players that comprise them, and everything else about the beautiful game in this country. It is Friday, January 22nd. The women's national team is back in action tonight against Columbia. So we will preview that game by recapping the first game that took place on Monday. We will also talk about some of the men's national team news that's come down this week, including their upcoming match against Trinidad and Tobago and some transfer news as well. But we begin with the women's national team. As I mentioned, they are playing Columbia again tonight. They played them on Monday night, Martin Luther King Day. It was a 4-0 victory for the best team on the planet, as expected. It could have been a lot more. They had 22 shots, uh, but Sandra Sepulveda, the Colombian goalkeeper, was just amazing. She had seven saves and still lost 4-0. The Muay are incredible because the Muay took over this game, led by Samantha Muis. She had a natural and perfect hat trick. Yes, a perfect hat trick. The right foot, the left foot, and a header. We do not care that the right foot was on a penalty kick. We just don't. It was awesome. Samantha Mewis doing her thing as usual, proving right now that she's probably the hottest uh, player on the planet when it comes to the women's game. Christy Mewis continuing her hot streak as well. Uh, Not to be outdone by her sister, she added the fourth and final goal. It is now five straight goals for the Mewi on the national team, which is incredible uh, to see. And to see both of them playing so well at a time that it's very important for our national team. There was one incredible debut by Katarina Macario. She is the first naturalized citizen to play for the women's national team and the first player to complete a one-time switch to the national team without playing for her birth country. She was born in Brazil, immigrated to the United States as a kid, finally got her paperwork to be eligible to play in these games, came on at halftime for Megan Rapino, and just absolutely was great. She didn't score But you can tell that everything is clicking for her, that she is a dynamic talent. And you can tell that the players really appreciate that as well. Vlaco said there's going to be some significant lineup rotation when he discussed this in his press conference uh, yesterday. So it remains to be seen if Katarina Macario will start this game. But there's a lot of players that did not get to play in this game. They had a game day roster. Almost everyone on the roster did play, with the exception of Jane Campbell and Sophia Smith. Smith picked up a knock during warm-ups. She will be out for this game tonight as a precaution, along with Mallory Pugh, who also injured herself in training around the first or second day of camp. So those two will be out. But really, Vlatko has a lot of ideas here. And one thing that Vlatko did before the first game that I thought was very special and, and something that a lot of coaches don't do and need to do is that he was able to present his game plan without giving away tactics. And he did it in a way that fans can take a peek inside the, the, you know, the layers of the onion and kind of see how they set up this team to attack. And that was through the high press, high pressure. They were really going after the uh, playing out of back style of Columbia by going right at their defenders, going right at the goalkeepers, really making them give up the ball early. And it seemed for the first 10 to 15 minutes of the game. The ball didn't cross half field. It was always in the offensive end for the United States. And that high pressure worked. It's great to see a coach tell you what they're trying to do and watch it happen to see how it actually comes about. And for the women's national team, it clearly worked because they were able to score inside of four minutes and really just 
kept pressure on the Colombian defense the entire game. It's that is what you want to see. And I think, you know, a lot of coaches could learn a little bit from what Vladko did. It was a very small thing to him probably, but to us it meant a lot because you were able to see, okay, this is what we're going to see, and let's see if this game plan actually comes to fruition. We've seen some coaches kind of do it with, yeah, we're going to put pressure on the ball, we're going to control possession, but they don't exactly say how they're going to do it. And he didn't give away, like, who he was playing or who was starting or who was going to be in what positions – but what he did was just tell them how, as a whole, the women's national team was going to come out and play. Look for that again tonight. Look for some of these players to make an entry into the lineup. Players that didn't play the other night, Elena Cook, Tierna Davidson, who could probably start uh, at any of the backline positions, Emily Fox, uh, the number one draft pick for the NWSL uh, just a week ago, Allie Krieger, who had some comments uh, yesterday in the press conference, which leads you to indicate that she's probably going to start and or play. Aubrey Bledsoe and Jane Campbell, Ashlyn Harris, the three goalkeepers, one of those probably will play. I'm not sure Alyssa Nair will get uh, another night in goal. It might be interesting to see which of those three goalkeepers is the person who starts in goal because it kind of gives you an indication as to who Vladko thinks is a part of this Olympic roster as we speak. Andy Sullivan, Jalen Howell, Mallory Pugh, and Sophia Smith, as I mentioned, are out, but they did not play the other night. So he has some room to kind of tinker with this lineup and kind of get players in to evaluate them against a Colombian team that didn't play great the other night, but also it's because they're going up against the best team in the world and most teams against the United States don't play well. So we'll see how that works, but it was very good to see their high press work. It was very good to see players kind of get into positions for success. Lynn Williams and, and Carly Lloyd up top, they didn't really do well with finishing, but they were able to create other positions and other openings for players like Samantha Mewis to roll through or Katarina Macario creating her own space in the second half. Becky Sauerbrunn, Abby Dahlkemper, you didn't really hear much from them because they didn't have anything to do. Crystal Dunn was forcing the issue on offense, but really the, the two center backs and Alyssa Nair had – very little to do on the night. It was kind of awesome. I, I wonder if they were playing solitaire in the back or playing cards or whatever. They could have done it because very, very rarely did they have to work on this game. And and that's kind of what you want to see. If if your center backs and your goalkeeper aren't getting a lot of action, it's because the high press is working very well. That's what happened on Monday, and we will see what happens in the match tonight. Slightly related to the women's national team, I want to talk about news that came out yesterday on Thursday that really could shape the way that the women's national team calendar works this year. As you know, it is a very busy year with the Olympics coming up this summer. That is what everything is being geared towards. And some of these decisions that Vladko Andonovsky has on this national team include trying to get a player pool of about 27 or 28 maybe even 30 players, down to 18 and two alternates because only those 20 ladies will be allowed on the plane to Tokyo for the Olympics this summer if the Olympics happens. That is the news, the big news from yesterday. Reports out of Japan and Europe that the summer games will be canceled and that Japan would then bid for the 2032 Olympics. Now, I mentioned this because it was a report out of the Times in England that referenced reports out of Japan and sources out of Japan's bid committee. But 
The Japanese government has denied that. The IOC has denied it. But the rumors are still there. And when it comes to the citizens of Japan, and especially Tokyo, they don't want the games to be played. Over 70% of citizens want the games to be canceled because of the logistics and really just the fear of so many athletes from around the world potentially bringing COVID to their land. They are currently experiencing insurgent cases. And with how the vaccine distribution has kind of been slow just about everywhere in the world, it's just going to be a logistical challenge for anyone to pull off an Olympic safely and smoothly. Now, I will say that the IOC is meeting on Wednesday, and maybe we get some more information out of that meeting about how this is going to go. So far, they're playing the playbook. There, there's a report that's saying that the games will be canceled. They absolutely deny it. We have to take them at the word for now, but that doesn't necessarily mean things can't change between now and Wednesday. The Olympics are going to be quick. It's coming quick. It may be in August and in July, but that is coming very, very soon. We're already three weeks into January. This is something that if it comes, it's going to happen very, very quickly because otherwise it is going to be a really, really fast push to get everything prepared and have it where the Olympics can be run safely and smoothly. I think we all hope that it happens, but I, and it would be very disappointing if it doesn't, especially for our two national teams. The men's U23s, it would be disappointing. They've been trying to qualify for these Olympics. It would be the first time since 2008 the men would be represented in soccer in the Olympics if they made it. But the real question is how would it alter the schedule for the women's national team if the Olympics are canceled? This is the second biggest tournament for women's soccer after the World Cup. And no team has ever won the World Cup and the Olympics back-to-back. The women's national team was looking to do that last year before the Olympics were pushed this year because of COVID. But they're still the favorites to win the gold medal. Who, who's touching them as far as contenders? There's maybe a few out there. You got France, you got England, maybe a Brazil or Japan. But the issue is, is that if this happens and the Olympics are canceled, what happens to the schedule for the women's national team? What is there to play for? Now, it could be that U.S. soccer could bring back the Tournament of Nations, which was scheduled to be this summer but was canceled because the Olympics were pushed back to the summer. They could really come back and just reinstate that and have their own little mini-tournament with some of the best teams in the world. But on another level, could it affect how Vladko brings along some of these younger players in the absence of an Olympics? Right now, his job is to try and figure out, as I mentioned, how to get 30 players down to 18. That's incredibly hard to do, especially with a roster that has several players that you can put in and still dominate. And you have some younger players that could also be a part of this group. Do you bring along some of the young players? Do you bring the veterans who really this is their last shot to win a gold medal? Carly Lloyd, Megan Pino. There are others that are past their prime that are sticking around for one more cycle to see if they can get it. Just one more medal. And there's younger players who have the fire that want to be a part of five to six medals. And they want to be a part of this situation for a long time. There are no youth World Cups this year either. So that is where Vladko might have to start shifting his thought process because he might have to search for players who will fill the roles of these veterans that are likely in their final year or two with the national team. And there may not be any matches of substantial caliber like the Olympics or like a youth under-20 World Cup, under-17 World Cup, where they can really evaluate who is ready 
to take the places of some of these legends that we have currently wearing the red, white, and blue. We'll check and see what happens. Again, there is an IOC meeting on Wednesday, but the Olympics could be in danger. And this is something worth watching because it could affect the schedule and how busy it already is. It could really change a lot of it, especially the structure for the women's national team. Coming up after the break, we are going to shift to the men's national team and we weave in some transfer news and rumors that have made for a really busy January. Stick around. And we are now discussing the men's national team. They are in the middle of their January camp. And finally, after a couple of weeks of them being in camp, we have a match. And it's not the rumored match that they were talking about against Serbia. It is actually against the team that we are very familiar with, Trinidad and Tobago. Yes, Trinidad and Tobago is the January camp match. We will be playing them at Exploria Stadium in Orlando on the 31st. That is a week from Sunday. Right now, the men's national team is in a joint January camp with the U23s. Again, the U23s right now have a very busy year because they are trying to prepare to qualify for the Olympics in March. But some U23s, they're in a camp with the men's national team until this weekend. And when that camp breaks, we will have some U23s that will stick around and remain with the men's national team to fill out that roster and make it so that we have one roster going forward to play Trinidad and Tobago a week from Sunday. So I want to briefly go through who we have right now on the men's national team roster and the U23s. We'll talk about why there's some holes in a minute. For the goalkeepers on the men's national team, we'll start with them. There's only 10 names on this roster. There's only one goalkeeper, Matt Turner. Sean Johnson was on this roster. He was removed due to having a knee strain suffered during camp. Defenders, Tristan Blackman, Aaron Long, and Walker Zimmerman. Midfielders, Kellen Acosta, Sebastian Legette, and Chris General Don. And then forwards, Josie Altador, Paul Ariola, and Chris Mueller. There was one name missing from there, and that was Jordan Morris. Jordan Morris was in this camp. However, he asked to be excused from camp just a couple of days ago. And speculation was about whether or not he was going to Swansea City on loan and whether asking to be excused from camp was to finalize that deal. Well, it was finalized this morning, and he is now at Swansea on loan for the rest of the season and now has an option to stay there on a permanent transfer at the end of the season. So Swansea is getting Jordan Morris. Also, who could possibly be joining him in this camp, uh, leaving camp to process this, is Paul Ariola. He is also being rumored to be heading to Swansea on loan. Of course, Paul Ariola plays for DC United, who whose owners own Swansea. So that would be easy to decipher. Yes, Ariola going to Swansea would make a lot of sense. Jordan Morris going to Swansea also makes sense. They need help up front. They're going to try and qualify uh, to be promoted outright to the Premier League. They are currently second in the championship standings. And so getting Morris and Ariola, they think will be the boost that they need up front to get them over the hump and get them back to the Premier League. We will see if that happens, but having Paul and Jordan Morris on Swansea... Morris's is completed. We'll see what happens with Ariola. Right now, Ariola is in this camp. We will see if that changes over the coming days 
as more rumors and more deals get finalized. Now, for the U23s, they have a much bigger roster, and like I said, it's because some of these guys are going to be here uh, and remain with the team after their camp breaks this weekend. For goalkeepers, Matt Fries, JT Marcinkowski, and Brady Scott. For defenders, Julian Araujo, George Bello, Kyle Duncan, who was added early into camp, Chris Gloucester, who Chris Gloucester breaking for a minute, now having rumors of him going to Newcastle, so he's another guy that could be leaving camp early to finalize a deal because this January window ends on the last day of January camp. Aaron Herrera from Real Salt Lake, Abubakar Keita, Henry Kessler, Mauricio Pineda, Donovan Pines, who was also added early on in camp, Miles Robinson, and Sam Vines round out the defenders. One defender that was on this roster but has since left is Brian Reynolds. He was excused as well for personal reasons, and we're not sure what that means, but speculation has heightened around his transfer situation. Where could he be headed? Juventus, where he would then go to Benevento on loan. That was the leader in the clubhouse. Club Bruges was also looking to get in on the action, but right now it sounds like he is off to Roma. Roma is the latest team to express interest in the FC Dallas right back and now seems to be the team that has agreed to terms or close to agreeing terms with FC Dallas on Reynolds. So we're not sure if his departure from camp is due to this. It said personal reasons. So hopefully everything is okay with him. Uh, But I I think we can all speculate that this transfer situation has something to do with it and that is very, very close to being done. Where he ends up is anyone's guess, though. We're looking forward to watching that. Now, for the midfielders uh, on this U23 roster, we have Asani Dotson, Brian Keo, Andres Pereira, who is now eligible to play after getting his one-time switch approved by FIFA, Tanner Tessman, Eric Williamson, and Jackson Ewell, and then for our forwards, Cade Cowell, Daryl DK, who, if you remember, was on the men's national team roster for the El Salvador match last month, got injured before camp. He is back for the U23s. Jeremy Abobase, Jesus Ferreira, Jonathan Lewis, Benji Michel, and Jordi Mihaljevic round out this roster. So this is the key here, is we have a lot of guys who are fighting to be a part of this national team. As right now, the men's national team roster only has 10 names on it. There could be other names, as I mentioned, like Ariola, who could be removed from this due to transfer windows or other issues. Uh, you also have a couple of U23s who might be leaving as well for the same reason. So the one I think is going to be interesting is to discover which goalkeepers stick around and which goalkeeper earns the start against Trinidad and Tobago because we have four guys who have been names that you've heard about. They've been in camps or they've been on the youth level and they haven't actually gotten the start. you got Matt Turner, Matt Freeze, JT Marcinkowski, and Brady Scott. Which of these guys are going to get the start remains anyone's guess, but it's going to be a great competition between Matt Turner and whoever uh, of the other three goalkeepers sticks around for this week to see who gets that start. And then up front, you have Josie Altador back in camp. He is healthy, he's ready to go, and he's probably got a little chip on his shoulder, and he should, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you have Paul Ariola, who again could be there next week, Chris Mueller, who had an amazing debut last month, and then you have a lot of young guys uh, like Daryl DK, Jeremy Abobase, who are right there, who are trying to factor into this mix, both for the U23s and the men's national team. So we will see what happens. We will obviously provide all the coverage of 
when this team merges from two into one and which guys make the cut and which guys are ending up departing January camp a week early. The rest of the guys, again, will stick around to see them play Trinidad and Tobago next Sunday, a week from Sunday, on January 31st. That will take place in Orlando. But for now, that will do it for episode 36 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Listen, there was a lot of news last week. The news seems to be coming fast, especially during this January transfer window, and it has already been a busy start to 2021 for our national team. So stick with us at starsandstripesfc.com to get the latest news and analysis as it comes our way. And, of course, you can discuss it all with our community, our, our robust community. We have gotten a lot of feedback about articles. We have turned some of those into articles already and into weekly columns that you will see over and over throughout the year. So we will be back next week to preview the men's national team's January camp match. We will recap tonight's match for the women's national team. We may also get some official news about the Olympics and possibly even a Shebelis roster. Again, everything's coming quick. But until all of that comes, enjoy the best team on the planet when they take the field tonight. Have a great weekend and take care.